it is good for us to be here. Children are now dismissed to go. I'm sorry, I was supposed to sing children are now dismissed. Because this is a musical. My favorite musical is Veggie Tales, where where Larry sings everything because it's a musical. <laughs> I have a heckler in the back. So as the children go, if you would turn to Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 14 will be our text this morning. And as you turn there, I'll remind you that we have four ways uh, for you to provide your offering. Um, for the work of the church here, you're offering to the Lord an act of service that we are privileged to give back to God. Um, you can mail a check. You can do it through automatic bank draft. You can go to the website, eastsidesprings.com, and do that there. Um, or there are also boxes at the back of the auditorium if you have something with you today you want to place in there. I want to go to Luke 2, and we'll start by reading verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Things aren't always as we expect them. Things aren't always as they seem. When I first moved to Alaska, it was the year 1992. And for you younger folks that don't understand what life was like in 1992. This was before smartphones, or GPS, or internet really, or Google Earth, or Google Maps, or Google Photos. And so I had very little information to go on to what I was getting myself into. I flew into Alaska, to Fairbanks, Alaska, in January of 1992. When I landed, the plane landed. It was 42 below outside. I did know a little bit about Alaska. I knew it was going to be cold. I knew it was going to be snowy. I knew it would be mountainous. I knew the northern lights had been described as me, to me as, as incredibly spectacular. Um, and, and I was imagining driving from the airport to Eielson Air Force Base, which is where I was going to be stationed. Um, and I imagined as you drive up Highway 24 between Colorado Springs and Woodland Park, the curvy going up through a mountain pass and the beautiful overlooks of the city behind you. And I just imagined this great scenery in my head because that's just the way I imagined it. Um, so you can imagine my disappointment when I got here. And if you look at that picture, it's very flat. 
And there are mountains way at the top, way off in the distance. There. That's the, that's the view I was expecting to have in Fairbanks. But if you go back, go back, go back a slide. There we go. Okay. They're way off in the distance. So Fairbanks is in a mountain valley surrounded by mountains, but really the mountains closest to Fairbanks are really just foothills. And you have to actually go up in the foothills to see the next view. If you notice, that's an elevated view in that last picture. To see that, that picture is from 85 miles outside of Fairbanks in Delta Junction. Actually, it's 95 miles outside. But Fairbanks is so flat, you can't really see mountains in Fairbanks. And I was picturing this grand view and, and grand scenery, and I got there, and it's a flat city with a lot of trees. Um, which isn't bad, just not what I expected. And you have to drive 15 miles south of Fairbanks on an elevated bridge to see that last view. Or 10 miles further to Ileson Air Force Base and along the three-mile runway where they cleared all the trees. Then you could see the mountains because the trees weren't in your way. Things aren't always as we expect. And things aren't always as they seem. History can also tend not to spell things out the way that they really happened. Caesar Augustus, his name was actually Octavius. Augustus means majestic or venerable or, quote, the increaser. And it was a name given to Octavius by the Senate. Octavius, or Caesar Augustus, is known for bringing peace and he's credited with restoring the Republic of Rome. And these would be fantastic accomplishments if that's actually what happened. Augustus did bring peace to the city and state of Rome, but not so much for the areas around it. Because at the same time he stopped the civil war going on in Rome, he expanded or annexed parts of Egypt, other parts of North Africa, parts of Spain, areas of Central Europe, and lands in the Middle East, including Judea. So for those in Rome, Caesar Augustus brought peace. For those on the outskirts that he annexed or conquered, it was not very peaceful. And as for restoring the Republic of Rome, if a republic is run by an emperor who really holds all the power, if that situation is still a republic, then I guess he did that too. But not really. So if you listen to a brief description, description of Caesar Augustus, he's considered one of the greatest kings in history. He is said to have brought peace and restored the republic, but the more you read and the more different views you consider, the more you realize that things weren't as they seemed. In Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus is mentioned for having a key role in the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He decrees that all people should be registered and they were to go to their hometowns. And thus, Caesar Augustus' most important actions take place in requiring Joseph, betrothed to Mary, 
expecting her firstborn to head to Bethlehem in Judea. Now God knew long before this that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Micah prophesies about 700 years before Jesus' arrival that the one who is to rule Israel, who is coming from old, would come from the city of Bethlehem. In the scripture that the wise men from the east would quote to Herod in Matthew chapter 2 is Micah 5. I want to read Micah 5 verse 2 and then 4 in the beginning of 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephaphtha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth me, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, those whose origin is from old, the ancient of days. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Micah knew, because God told Micah, God inspired Micah to write these words. God knew. He spoke through his prophets, and God is faithful to his promises. And God works through Augustus to have Joseph and Mary head to Bethlehem. And some call this providence. Some call it foreknowledge. And some just call it faithfulness. And while we might not know exactly how God made everything work, what we know is that his prophecy came to pass and that he is faithful. Caesar Augustus decrees a census. Joseph and Mary head to the city of David, Bethlehem, and there, in humble circumstances, baby Jesus is born into humanity. God's prophecy fulfilled, but even more so, God came to us. God comes to mankind. Emmanuel, God with us. And because there was no proper sleeping quarters, the king of king is wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. Not how anyone expected the savior of the world to come to us. And in the same region, shepherds were tending their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. I wanted to bring in a guest speaker to read this next section of scripture. Um, he couldn't be here this morning, so I, I asked him to do a video. So can we, can we play that? And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What Linus says there is straight from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14 from the King James Version. And every time I read Luke 2, every time my mind goes back to the King James, it doesn't matter what translation I'm reading, I hear, and lo, (laughs) the angel of the Lord came upon them. And I hear Linus reading those scriptures in my mind to me. We have read these verses. We have heard Linus read these verses to us every year for years and years and years. We know the story of Jesus' birth of the shepherds in the field. Many of us have heard this our entire lives. And we have the benefit of 2,000 years of Christianity. We have the benefit, most of us, a lot of us anyway, of, of being raised knowing this story. Of, of hearing the angels tell the shepherds. Yet had we been there on that day, if we had been raised in Judaism, if we were in their day and their time in their place, with their understandings of the Old Testament, we would have thought something incredibly different. You see, the Jews studied the scriptures and they knew the prophecies. And when the angels, and the angel speaks to the shepherds of the baby born in Bethlehem, he gives him three titles. Savior, Christ, and Lord. And these aren't new titles. They were used in scripture. And the three titles were accurate, but they might have painted the wrong picture if you were expecting something else, especially if you were a studied Jew, things would not play out as they imagined. The Savior, let's look at that title given to Jesus. The Savior is simply one to save. That seems like a no-brainer, right? It's pretty straightforward and easily understood. A Savior saves. Except the Jews of that day would have thought, we need someone to save us from the oppression of the Roman government. They were the chosen people of God. The thought of being saved spiritually to them never really occurred to them because it already happened. We are the people of God. We're the chosen people, the chosen race. We follow the law. We don't need a savior spiritually. We need a savior from Rome. Christ. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, which is a Hebrew word. Both of them mean the anointed. To be anointed means to be recognized and consecrated in some special capacity, usually as king and usually as an agent of God. The title was often applied to the one who would deliver Israel. So to to announce that the Christ 
or Messiah was born would also be to announce that Israel's deliverance is at hand. And such deliverance was normally understood in a military sense. And usually the Messiah was viewed as conquering Israel's enemies and exalting Israel to a nation of prominence once again and forever reigning on David's throne. Christ, Messiah, the anointed king to deliver his people, the people of God. And Lord. Lord means ruler or governor. It could be applied to people or to God. Sarah called Abraham Lord. Jews, many Jews thought the word Jehovah was too sacred to say. And so they would use Lord for the name of God. And yet they also used it for those who ruled or governed over them. And it would be applied to Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verse 34, Peter quotes David, follow me here, Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes David talking about the resurrection of Christ from Psalms 110. And he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Lord, governor. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, a very familiar passage. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. That Christ would rule, his government would have no end. Israel would be saved from her enemies and delivered from oppression, restored to a mighty nation and ruled forever by the anointed Christ. So you can see how the Jewish people with these titles even that the angels give to the shepherds are thinking more of a physical kingdom than a spiritual one. Jesus would not be what they expected the Messiah to be. Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom for all people. And many of the Jews who were there at that time wouldn't understand. And even some who were on the verge of believing when Jesus dies on a cross, it just served to confuse them more. We thought you were going to be the king to restore Israel. Even the apostles in Acts chapter 1, before the ascension of Jesus, asked Jesus, is it now you're going to restore the kingdom? Things weren't as they seemed. Things weren't as they expected. How can this be good news of great joy? Many would misunderstand and miss and dismiss Jesus. Yet many would figure it out. Many 
came to understand that Jesus' kingdom wasn't physical, but it was a spiritual kingdom. And while it wasn't what they expected, it was even better than they could ever have imagined. When I moved to Fairbanks, I was kind of disappointed in the flatness, in the distance of the mountains. And the longer I lived there, the more awesome it became. And the more I enjoyed it. And I imagine that was like the Jews who didn't understand Jesus at first and then came to figure out it's not a physical kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom. And it's better than we ever could have imagined. A friend of mine asked me years ago, what is the best feeling in the world? And I'm thinking, where are you going with this? It's a kind of a weird question. What's the best feeling in the world? I said, "Uh, what do you think? And they said one word, relief. Relief. Think about getting a splinter, right? And when it jams in there, it's like, ah, and you can't get it out. And it's like, okay, and then kind of goes away a little bit. And then you brush it along your side and it stabs you again. Or you tap a table and it stabs you again. And it's just so irritating. And when you can finally dig that little thing out, relief. On a very small scale, relief is good. I saw a picture this week on Facebook of a friend of mine. And her arms are back. And her head is back. And her knees are bent. And they're about this far off the ground. She had gone to the doctor. They had found some things. And tests were run. And it was not good news. And the prognosis was dim. And after the tests were run, she went back to the doctor. And that picture was her reaction of hearing we were wrong. It's no big deal. That's relief. That's literally jumping for joy. When the news comes back that it's not cancer, joy and relief. When the news comes back that there's no surgery needed, your loved one will be all right, there is relief and joy. When there's a car wreck and everyone walks away, there's relief and there's joy. Maybe after some treatments and the news is the cancer is gone. There's relief and joy. And every time I get a text from my dad saying, The cancer markers are still undetectable. There's relief. And there's joy.
And the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. Because through Jesus, there's guilt, there's relief for the guilt and punishment of sin. Jesus is our relief and our joy. Good news of great joy. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. My sin is great. I don't have to carry the weight of that any longer. I don't have to wonder if I'm loved, if I have a purpose, if I belong, if I can be forgiven, if I'm saved. Jesus brings me relief and joy. Just as the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, 20 and 21, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I bring you great I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. We have an enemy that wants to kill and destroy us. But we have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus who will save us from our sins. That is good news. And if you haven't accepted the good news of Christ, find someone today and talk to them and let us help you understand how to go about that. This is better than we ever could have hoped for. Jesus is the good news of great joy. We're going to pray. The praise team is going to sing. And I want to encourage you to find somebody and rejoice with them. Find someone and express the joy of being relieved from your sin through Jesus Christ. The greatest news of the greatest joy we could ever experience. Let us pray. Lord God, I'm so, so thankful. For Jesus, your son. He wasn't what we expected. He was so much more. And the weight of our sin is great. But you are greater. Thank you for relief. Thank you for joy. Thank you for being more than we ever could have imagined. We'll continue our prayer as, as we sing. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. 
Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.